Hello and welcome to Mac Bytes episode 60. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. In this episode, Pixelmator, Victorian Ants and Dancing Robots. It gets weirder every week. It certainly does. But first, following last week's overview of the ITV and streaming apps, we heard from Amanda, who's just bought her first ITV. And she was setting it up on Saturday morning and a tweet came in. Guess what the first programme was she found? Go on. Lesbian Vampire Killers on BBC Three. Really? Yes. Uh, she suggested that I... Well, actually, no, it was the MacBytes Twitter feed who said that it was sure that I'd be glued to it. Uh, I wasn't. Can honestly say not. No, you know what? I think I'm going to start a campaign, me and the MacBiters, to get you to watch it. Well, when I was testing the streaming apps, I did see... Ooh... Ten times what I'd seen before, and that took me to the grand total of about three minutes. Well, we got you watching um, Monty Python, didn't we? So, uh, lesbian vampire killers. It's not next going on the to list. happen. No, on no, no. List. Anyway, after last week's catastrophic kit calamities, what's broken this week for you at MacBytes headquarters? Um, nothing. What? Nada. Surely iTunes has given you some grief. Nope. One of your massive hard drive collections must have misbehaved. Nope. A blissful week of beautifully behaved kit. Such a good week, in fact, that even Google did something right. You what? Wait for it. Twice. That can't be true. Whatever you're smoking, can I have some? I'll think about it. Yes, first of all, there was Google+. Plus. I know we're late to the party, considerably, probably about five, six months. Yeah. It's been a while. But our Google accounts are apps accounts, and um, we're the poor relations, aren't we? Yeah, we are. It's not really fair. I don't think they enabled Wave for apps users either until well after They'd killed it. Else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think they did it just before they killed it. But I didn't have it on my apps account, so that, that's a bit of a problem. Um, because it is still there. But, but no, never mind. So, they enabled Google Plus for apps users. And um, we're there, at last. Probably pretty much just as everybody else is closing the door <laughs> yeah. on their way out. And they're killing it. Yes, but but we're there at the moment. So so that was the first bit of good news. We'd waited long enough. Um, I have got my account, but I haven't actually. What what do you what would you say you do? It's not tweeted, is it? It must be plussed. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't plussed yet. <laughs> I'm still trying to work it out. The circles and stuff, and it doesn't seem to update in real time. But then that could just be here. I'm beginning to think we live in a time warp. Um, I'm getting emails to say that people have added me and then I go to the site and, and they haven't. Um, but apart from that, that that was a one plus for Google there. And then there was the second good thing that Google did in a week. It's shocking when you think about it, isn't it? 51 weeks of the year. Dreadful. One week. Good Google. Uh, yes, I, I had my problem with my magically multiplying YouTube accounts. I had a YouTube account, which was Elaine Giles, and then I wanted another YouTube account. Well, I didn't actually. I wanted my YouTube account assigning to a different account and, and they weren't playing ball. So I ended up with a second YouTube account called The Elaine Giles, which wasn't a problem. It meant I could log in with my single login and I could upload my videos. Or so I thought. So I uploaded my first video, no problem at all. Everything was fine. And then I came to upload my second uh, which was about 16 and a half minutes. Uh, 
and it let me do it. That wasn't a problem. At that point, it then told me there was a 15-minute limit. You mean you witted on too long? What? <laughs> There's no such thing as too much of me. True. But anyway, I've now, I've now got an 18-minute video that's sat there waiting to be dealt with. So I was checking my YouTube account yet again, just to, in, in the odd hope that maybe they'd seen sense and, and removed this limit because I'd put some videos up there. And uh, no, they hadn't. But I did find this, this option that it appeared from nowhere. It hadn't been there the last time I looked. Um, and they now let you validate an account with, and I quote, a mobile number. Um, it didn't say it had to be mine. So um, I used a throwaway mobile account number and um, yes, it worked. So straight away, it texted me a code. I put the code in and they've upped my limit. I now don't have a limit. So this week, I am very, very happy with Google. MacBiters, this is the first and probably last time ever that Google get... Well, from your good news to my not-so-good news, and it's my turn to rant this week. Last night, I uploaded a text file to my Dropbox, and then this morning, whilst I was out, I opened it on my iPhone, within the Dropbox app on my iPhone. I then clicked Open In, and a list of apps appeared, and I looked at them, and I selected Writing Kit. What it did is it gave me a list of apps that I could open a text file with. When I got back home, I wanted to configure my iPad to do the same. So I opened the file from Dropbox. I clicked open in and writing kit wasn't listed. And there's no way to configure writing kit or Dropbox. In fact, there seems to be no way to configure anything. And you had a good look at it as well, didn't you? I did. I expected there to be um, some options in the preferences. Now, I did find some options in the iPad preferences. Um, that was for specific applications that allow you, it was a services section within the preferences for each app that allow you to turn some on and off. So for instance, um, you've got an application and it supports Read It Later and Instapaper. Well, if you'd only use one of those services, there was an option to turn the other service off. So I expected to see something for writing kit that maybe you had to enable Dropbox support or something like that. But no, it didn't work like that. There were no preferences at all for writing kit, were there? No, there weren't. But then we had another good idea, which was to count the number of items in that open-in list. And I had 10, and you had 10 as well, didn't you? I did. But they uh, they weren't the same 10. It, was, it just seemed like a random list. Having done some digging around, it then appears that you can actually only have 10 um, in that open-in list. And there's there's no... I don't know whether it's done it by the order they were installed in or there was, certainly it's not listed alphabetically or, or anything like that. It's got to be the order it's installed in, I would say. But this is one of those situations where where Apple want everything, just leave everything to us. It'll all be fine. No, it's not. I would expect to be able to configure that somewhere. But you can understand the way that Apple are thinking, that they want it to be zero configuration. If you're going to have it as zero configuration, then why put some random number like 10 as a limit? When you can scroll it, it wasn't that it showed you all 10. I think it only showed you four. And I said, well, count them. Because I could see I had a couple of screenfuls. And I thought, if you've got the same number, then it's obviously some kind of limit. And that that's what it was. So you did, well, there were people who were saying, well, try this. 
and what you suggested to me that you try I thought was ridiculous so do share it with the Macbiters yeah it was uh, the people on the forums that I read was suggesting that you uninstall the apps one by one and then see if, if the app that you want appears so it's obviously and there was also wasn't there um, and then re uninstall the app that you want and then reinstall it and that might add it to the list as it was the last item that you added yeah people were saying that but also uninstall apps one by one and then maybe the app will appear um, the problem with that is one you might want those apps to be um, kept on your iDevice uh, and two if you uninstall apps it it takes the data with it doesn't it not not with Dropbox and things, but with other stuff where the data is, is stored within the app. The data disappears when you uninstall the app. No, but you would, even if you uninstalled it and your data was in Dropbox, which most of mine are, you'd still have to relink it to Dropbox. True. Which has the problem of either copying and pasting your password or generally messing about. It's not yeah. supposed to be like that. Very true. I don't know why they can't just have one global controller for that although it did remind me of when you're on a mac and you right click on a document file and you go to open with and certainly on my mac it can take quite a while to generate that list or read that list in whatever it's doing with it because it has everything on there and if you happen to have um, a drive attached to your machine that you've imaged your system drive to then and we've discussed this before you can have two and three entries for items and you've no idea when you look at it whether it's on your primary hard drive or whether it's on the image so pretty much i can't use that right click at all there it also is slaps windows stuff on there as well well that's why i didn't like i think it was parallels that did that yeah. first wasn't it and i did not like i didn't want to see anything like that i can see the benefit for people who may have sort of maybe they've got um, a windows version of photoshop and when they double click on it they want it to open in photoshop but they want it to open the image that they have windows in first but you know i never ever ever want that and i found it quite difficult to get rid of all that integration to me that's a total waste of time but they've not fixed that in all the different versions of os 10 that i've used so that's not boding well for this problem which to me is a problem that's not a feature it's a problem because lots of people try apps don't they and you might not delete it. You might think, well, I'm not going to use that in the minute, so I'll put it in this folder. You know, and then you, you're trying to open it in something that you do use it with. And it isn't that you have to do something more difficult. You just can't do it. Yeah, I've got loads of apps on, on the iPad, on the iPhone, where I've, like you say, you'll install it. Maybe it's because it was free on iTunes for a weekend. Uh, oh, no, no, that's how I got <laughs> lesbian vampire killers involved. Don't go there. Yes. <laughs> No, but I know what you mean. You know what I'm saying. I've actually got a folder called Spare Apps. Mm, mine's not quite as eloquent as that, but, but that's the idea, yes. <laughs> yes, we know what yours is called, don't we? Yeah, but it's the kind of stuff that you think, well, I don't particularly need I wouldn't use that on a regular basis, but you never know, I might use exactly. it. Exactly, and then it's, it's taken up a slot, isn't it? If there's absolutely no way to open that file in the app that I want to open it with, then as far as I'm concerned, that's a problem. It is a problem. I'm, I'm assuming your only option was to copy and paste. I gave up in the end. I didn't even try it. I think I opened it in something else that was on the list. You see, that's not great. No. No, because I had a problem where I was out and I had um, a HTML file, which I is just a plain text file, really, with a HTML extension. 
and I had it in Dropbox and I wanted to take it from Dropbox to an app that I could edit it with and I assumed that I, I've got an app called Gusto which is a HTML editor. So I thought, well, I'll use that. That makes most sense. And when I went to it, I did actually manage to get the content of the file in there, but I had to copy and paste it, which in essence created a second copy of the file because when I'd made my edit, I had to save it. Having saved that file, I, I saved it back to Dropbox, but every time I, I had it in a different app, because the problem with Gusto was it had no line numbers. And I thought it's a terrible editor that's got no line numbers when it's editing code. So then I went into something else and something else. And because all these apps are sandboxed in Dropbox that they only save to their own folder, I ended up with about half a dozen versions of the file. And it was so fragmented and horrible. It was a horrible experience, which I don't think is what they really intend. But it didn't work very well. But like you said, what got me was what really bothered me about the whole thing was not particularly that there's a limit of 10 or whatever, but give me another way to open it then. But there was nothing. So you broke it? I did break it. Mm. I did. Why didn't I break that first? Because it was my turn. Oh, okay then. Can I do my second rant now? Feel free. Oh, thank you. Uh, last week we discussed calendars not synchronising and um, we were talking about the fact that it causes us a problem when we discuss schedules because we we tend to treat calendars as kind of categories, don't we? We don't, we don't have a home calendar and a car and a, a car calendar. <laughs> You're giving away the punchline again. Yes, yes. We don't have a, a home calendar and a work calendar. We have like um, my calendar. We have a, a MacBytes calendar. We have a, a Mike's holidays calendar, which is where I put my uh, holidays that I'm my days that I'm booking off work. And what we do is we share each calendar with each other. So I own the Mike's holidays calendar and I share it with you. Now, last week on my iPhone, I added an appointment which was booking my car in. And for some reason, it went into the Mike's Holidays calendar on my phone. I think the default calendar has changed because it used to be the calendar that was just called Mike. I think that happens when you update iOS. I because think I've it had must it have happen done. to me. Yeah, because it was fine until a couple of weeks ago. Now, I thought nothing more of it. And then you said... Why is your car booked into the Mike's holiday calendar? And I thought, what are you talking about? And so I looked on my phone and I realised what had happened, that the default had changed because I remembered putting the appointment in on my phone. Um, so what I did is I went into my phone, I updated it to the correct calendar, I checked the mobile me on the website and it was correct, so it had updated immediately on the website. Eight hours later and it's still not updated in BusyCal which was the issue we were talking about last week. It's yeah. also not updated in iCal, but everything else is working. All my other appointments are fine. Which was when inspiration struck me. It was when you said everything, you know, all my other appointments are okay. And I had a, a quick look over your shoulder and that what, what struck me was they weren't on Monday. With today being Sunday, these appointments weren't on Monday. So I said, we'll just move the appointment to Tuesday. <laughs> And you looked at me with that insane look that she's mad, but I'll humour her look. Yeah, so I did it anyway. And um, this was on the phone. I went into the phone, updated it. Uh, Check mobile me website. It was fine. It had updated. I did a refresh on iCal. It updated. I refreshed BusyCal. It updated immediately. See? Problem solved. It would be easier to ring the garage, of course, and change the appointment to Tuesday. <laughs> True, true, very true. Anyway, I blame it on Halloween. 
So I changed it back to Monday on the iPhone and now it's correct on all devices. Um, at my suggestion again? Thank you, Elaine, for your insightful genius. No, don't mention it, Mike, any time. Yes, thank you, Elaine, <sighs> for your insightful genius. That's better, that's better. <laughs> Talking of which, did you give me a plus K for that? No, what I will do. Yes. Um, Twitter, alive with talk of um, clout this week, who have changed their algorithm, much to the consternation of those so inclined to check their clout score, which we've all done it. It's like you Google yourself. I, I must admit, hands up, I did check my clout score once, but it isn't something that I sit there and, and triage endlessly. And I'm assuming you've checked yours. I only check my clout score when it sends me an email, otherwise I never bother. But uh, I did go in this week when it sent me an email and it said uh, I am a great influence on people in the subjects of Tesco and Windows. <laughs> um, mine was slightly more accurate. Um, Apple. That was it. No other category at all. <laughs> just Apple. Mine was accurate. It's just yours are more useful. Mm, I, I, I still don't, you know, I mean, it's mildly amusing, but... Not to the point that you would actually take much notice of it to that degree and get upset when it changes. But um, people were very upset. Um, I think mine had gone down. My clout score had gone down, but then pretty much everybody's had. So I must admit, I wasn't crying into anything over that. Me neither. No. Well, not to worry then. Um, I, don't, I don't actually know about this giving people a plus K on it. I think mine must completely worked out from Twitter, which would explain why I'm influential in Apple. Hmm, I wish. Anyway, yes, onward to um, news of a potential new toy, but I think it's a while off it, if it is, um, which is biggest rumours from Steve's bio. No spoilers, we've not read it yet. Uh, seems to have been an Apple TV device. Not an Apple TV per se, but a TV that's an Apple TV, if you're with me. Hmm, would we buy? No. No, you see, I don't think so. I just don't think I need one. Certainly not for broadcast television, because I find it a little bit... You know, when you were a kid, I used to get a tape recorder. I had a choice between a radio and a tape recorder. And I went for a tape recorder because I wanted to listen to what I wanted to listen to, not what they were broadcasting. And this is pretty much the same to me. If it's a TV TV, as, as we think of a TV now, it's going to be the same old rubbish just on better equipment, I'd have thought. It is. I mean, X Factor's just going to be the same. I'm not watching this year. I've I've been so stoic. I have no idea what's going on. Not at all. Nor have I. I'm relying on tweets from Minster. Minster's keeping me up to date as well. But it, it's, it's really weird because last year I was with him on everything. I knew exactly what he was talking about. And this year he's tweeting names and I'm thinking, no idea, no idea. So I'm, I'm really not following it. So um, I'd say, to be honest, that technology and apple kit in particular has already changed the way that we consume tv one we don't have a tv anymore um we use an itv but in addition to that the hardware and stuff means that you know you use the iplayer you probably watch stuff on an ipad maybe an iphone um i'd never ever sit down with a dvd and you know pop it into a player under a tv and watch it ever i'd just rip a dvd and then watch it on another device so i'd say pretty much they've already reinvented the tv so i'm not too sure about the logic of that but everyone seems to be getting rather excited about it maybe it's just because it's new kid 
probably is. Yeah. I'm not overly excited about that. But you know what's going to happen, don't you? You'll want one. I'll want one when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm con- I'm spending the, the time from now to whenever it does convincing myself that I don't need it. Which is good, because it means I can buy other kit between now and then. But anyway, never mind watching TV mindlessly. Are you ready for NaNoWriMo? What's that? Uh, it's National Novel Writing Month. 50,000 words in 30 days. You must be joking. Mm, I did do that. Um, not last year. I think it was the year before that I did it. I didn't do it in terms of writing a novel, though. I tend to think differently about it. I think of it as being like a special project. You know how everybody sets up um, New Year's resolutions and in January? And breaks them on the 2nd of January, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Like joining a gym. <laughs> really stupid ideas. I've never done that one. No, I've never done that one. I'm not that insane. <laughs> but, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I tend to think of it as like, ooh, as a, what special project could I do? Because I think if you think of it as a special project, it kind of gives you focus. Um, if writing is your thing, then good luck to you. And um, you do get great support from the NaNoWriMo forums. So might be worth people having a look at. So can anyone do it? Yeah, you just register at the site. Um it's been going for quite a few years. I think one of the first times I heard about it and I didn't partake was probably about 18 months after I got on a Mac. And um, it wasn't the big, big deal that it is now, but it was certainly sort of quite a big deal. Um, it, it's really the support stuff that you register for. I mean, you can make your mind up to just do it and just do it. You can um, type your stuff up and paste it into the, their, their engine on their website and they'll keep a word count for you. Now, if you don't want to, if you don't trust pasting in your work, you can actually paste it in hashed and it will still count it. Yeah, the year I did it, it did focus you. Um, like I say, it wasn't a novel that I was working on. It was just sort of, I'll, I'll get... For me, it was like a special project. I'll just create a pro- the project that you know that you've been putting off forever. I'll, I'll do that project. That's what I'll do. And then it did give me focus. And yeah, I enjoyed it. So I think at the moment this year um, that we'll probably get to read more of the output because self-publishing is so be- big. So um, I'm I'm reckoning in January we'll be overloaded with NaNoWriMo novels. So anyway, if you're participating, do let us know. We'd love to hear about it. I think if you are, you need to use Scrivener. Scrivener's fabulous. But I, I was thinking about what you were saying about the apps and, and the limited to 10. I know Scrivener doesn't have as yet an iPad version. So if you are out and about and you are intending to type it up on your iPad, you may need to save it back to Dropbox and do some shenanigans with it to get it back into Scrivener. And you could come up against that 10 item issue, which wouldn't be good, would it? No. You'd be transferring stuff out. I know Simple Note works with um, Scrivener. So, yeah, if, if anybody's having problems with that, let us know as well. I'd be very, very interested to see how people are going. I tend not to work that way. I'd probably make notes and then put them back on the desktop version later. But mm, I, I was a bit worried about that. It would um, make me think twice about using an iPad for more serious work. Definitely. So on to this week's app review. And this week, um, there's only one product we can go for, isn't there? Oh, yes. At long last... Pixel Mate is here. Should we have a drum uh, roll for that? I think we should. I think we should. Just a minute. 
Thank you. <laughs> right. Uh, not, not the most inspiring drum roll, but it'll do. Uh, yes, Pixelmator 1 came out in 2007. There was an alpha program before that, and I remember opening Pixelmator for the first time and looking at it and thinking, hmm, it's not Photoshop, is it? <laughs> they brought out quite a big, big update in 2008, which was Pixelmator 1.5, but... Since then, to be honest, I thought development had slowed down considerably. And of course, as every self-respecting MacBiter will know, I had a bit of an issue with the Clone Stamp tool. Don't we know? Yes. The Clone Stamp tool did work. It must be said it did work. And you it... broke it. No, 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 I didn't. No, I didn't break it. They broke it. Um, it did work, but only on the same layer. And I don't like clone stamping onto the same layer. I like to keep things editable and non-destructive. So I wanted to clone stamp onto a blank layer. And that was where it just didn't work. It didn't generate any errors. It didn't crash. It just didn't work. And um, it's been like that since I think it was February. Um, then when the Mac App Store was announced... Um, they announced that they were going Mac App Store only, which we did cover at the time, I think. And we said it just it, it was horrible. It felt wrong. You know, that the people who had used it since the, the early adopters were being penalised here because um, the price in the App Store was initially £17.99, which was an excellent price. And it also included a free update to version two. But in essence, if you were buying in January, February, when this offer was on, you were buying another license for what you already had. And we did discuss it, I remember. We did. I was saying, you, were, you know, there was no guarantee that Pixelmator 2 would, would ever see the light of day. We've seen it before with other stuff, haven't we? Well, yes. And when they said it was going to be a summer release, <laughs> don't know about you, <laughs> but it's a, it's a bit chilly around the Trossachs here. It's not summer. Despite the October heat wave of a couple of weeks back, it is now freezing. It's not the summer. So yes, that was a consideration. You do have to think about it. Um, I made the decision I, very grumblingly and grudgingly. I decided I would repurchase. And I think I did that before the offer went off in February. Because I thought the way things were going, um, I mean, if you come out and you make a statement and you say we're going Mac App Store only and this is the price, it's a special price now. If you upgrade now, then you'll get this price after that, then you won't. Then you've put your cards on the table. I make a decision based on that. And they did stick to it. I must admit, I did hang on till nearly the end of the offer because I thought, well, if enough people complain on the forum, then they might change their mind. As it happens, lots of people complained on the forum and they didn't change their mind. So I went with it. Um, but there, there have been other uh, developers who have come out and sort of said the same thing. And then in the face of a lot of criticism, have backtracked. Which I must admit, I find worse. Because at the point you've said this is what's going to happen, people have taken you at your word and made a decision based on what you've said. If you then change your mind again, I think that's wrong. Uh, one of the companies who came out and said this is what's going to happen was 1Password. And they put on a very good price and it gave you a free upgrade to version 4 and they said it was going to be Mac App Store only. And I thought, right, OK, let's have a look at that deal. And I went for it. And then they came out after a lot of criticism on the forum and said, well, we're, we're thinking about it. And I thought, just a minute. Because the version that they've put in the Mac App Store um, has different features um, you, there, are, there are limits as to where you can store your data and other 
changes that were required for them to get Mac App Store approval. I looked at that before I decided whether I was going to go down the Mac App Store route. And if they're telling you that version 4 will only be available in the Mac App Store, then you've pretty much got no choice anyway. But to then come back and say, well, hang on, people are complaining, so we're thinking about it. Just, I don't think that's on. You know, you make your mind up, tell us what you're going to do, and then let us make our mind up. And if people aren't happy about it, then go and use something else. But don't let people buy it and then change your mind. I don't think that's right at all. So at least Pixelmator, mm, people are still complaining and they're complaining vehemently. But they have stuck to their guns and at the moment it is Mac App Store only and looking like it's going to stay that way. So um, the price is now, they, they didn't, they did put the price up. So it went up from 17.99 to around the, I'm tempted to say £34.99 because the prices jiggled a bit, didn't they? Yeah. Um, there was a price realignment, so it was around the thirty-four ninety-nine mark. Uh, but they have put it back down, and they've put it back down to the same price band as it was when it was seventeen ninety-nine. But the realignment means it's twenty pounds ninety-nine. So that's the price of it at the moment. So really, you're you're still having the benefit of um, getting it at a reduced rate, irrespective of whether you had a license for Pixelmator One. So at the moment. If you're going to buy it, it's a good time to buy, I would say. So, is it worth the wait? Now, don't be tempting me to do a mic and reveal the punchline of a review at the beginning. Actually, shall I do this in the style of the good, the bad and the ugly? Yeah. There's a blast from the Mac Bites past. Well, first the good. There's um, plenty of new features. Uh, there are some vector drawing tools which were much sought after. It comes in the form of a shape tool which has six options. So the benefit of that is that you can draw out shapes and those shapes remain editable. Um, the way pixel-based editors usually work is that you draw out in pixels and if you want to change them you've got to be able to make a selection and you'd have to use the transform tool. Well the difference is with vector-based shapes they remain editable so there's things like stars and rounded rectangles and stuff like that. Every time you put a shape in using the shape tool it puts it on its own layer and it remains editable and you can resize it you can make changes to it so that's good if you're after that kind of thing. I would say it's not going to replace Illustrator anytime soon, but I personally would use Pixelmator for speed. So the fact that you've now got some vector tools in there, if all you want is a square, but you may need to resize it, then you'll be fine with what's in there. Um, one of the things that used to drive me mad with Pixelmator was the type tool. It was pretty basic. Um, one of the things you couldn't do with it, for example, you, you could click and put some text on. I was going to say, is this text typing? It, it's putting text on. Yeah. So imagine that you put some text on and then you, you want it as maybe a watermark. So you want to rotate it 45 degrees. Just adjust it slightly. Um, you couldn't do that and have the text editable. What you had to do was change that editable text to be pixels and then just move the pixels which was a problem if you wanted to put sort of a copyright on it and then maybe change the year, you'd have to start again. Um, you work, workflow-wise, you find a way around that. Uh, the way around that would be to make the first layer with the text on and then make a copy of it and hide it. Rasterize the second layer, which means turn it into pixels. 
and get it looking how you want it to look. And if you ever need to edit it, delete that layer, duplicate the text layer again, and then make the changes to that. But you can see it's really, it's um, you finding ways around the software, not the software helping you. So what they've done with the type tool is it now, for instance, supports rotation. So I can put my text there, I can edit my text and I can rotate it. And then if I want to make changes to it, I just click on it. Now, it does look when you click on it as though it straightened it back up again, but it's only for editing purposes. As soon as you've finished editing, it will flip back to the rotation it had before. So that is a time saver. Um, I noticed using it because obviously I downloaded this within ooh, two or three seconds. There's a surprise. Yes, I thought so. Um, I tried that and I thought the text on the screen looked very sharp. Um, working with text in an image editor like that, sometimes you look at it and you're thinking, oh, that looks really blurry or, you know, do I need to change the font? This was pin sharp. So um, I need to spend more time with it, but that's a big improvement, I would say. Um, there's now sharpening using brushes, which is a good feature. I'll take your word for that. <laughs> Trust me, it is. Um, you, sh you can sharpen an image. So, you know, uh, you must have seen me do that in some demos. Yeah. Usually sharpening around the eyes. Well, you'd have to sharpen on the layer and then cover up what you don't want sharper. So you might want, um, you tend to blur the rest of a face to make it look better. Well, with that, you could sharpen using a brush. So you could literally paint the sharpening on, as it were. That's what that means. And um, there's some new tools as well, um, as well as the uh, vector tools. There's a magic eraser tool and a red eye removal tool. I've always found that a little bit gimmicky. Well, it's certainly not as good as knowing a range of techniques likely to work in any circumstances. But could you personally fix red eye without? Probably not. Well, definitely not. That's why it's there. Then. <laughs> <laughs> it's not particularly for people like me who could. It's for people like you who sit looking at it going, I've no clue. Um, it has an auto fix mode. So you click on the tool, you zoom into the red area around the eyes um, and you say auto fix and it gives it a good go. Um, it did work. I would say probably, I mean, it's never going to be as accurate as doing it yourself, but it wasn't bad. Um, if it didn't work too well, then you can manually se select the area and try and get it to, to fix on it. To be honest, whether it works or not and how well it works depends on the image. If there's a lot of other red, if the person's wearing like a red jumper and you've got part of that jumper in it, then it will probably get confused. Whereas if you zoom in to, to like a tighter area and they don't have bloodshot eyes, then it may work pretty well. But I, I think you're better off knowing the techniques that would actually work in any circumstance. There's also big limitations with it that I know the clues in the name red eye removal tool. But a lot of um, images that I see have um, a similar kind of problem, but it's green eye. And that's with pets. When you take pictures of cats and dogs in particular, you can get that kind of um, light reflection from their eyes, but it's not red, it's green. And this red eye removal tool doesn't fix that. Now, it would have been nice if it had a sort of pet mode and then you could just flick a switch and it would work. Now, like I've said, if you know a range of techniques that will work in changing a colour from one colour to another while retaining the, the right look, because it's not a case of just go and get a brush, put some black paint on it 
and paint because it won't look right. When you zoom out, you'll look at it and the eyes will look very flat. There'll be no luminosity with it at all and it just will not look right. This tool itself, if it's working on red eye, it, it takes the red away, but it leaves the, a right range of pixels. So it'll be a range of sort of greyish, dark, dark greyish pixels. And it will look as though it's an eye, which it won't. Um, if, like I say, if you just paint over it. So it would have been nice to have a, a pet eye option um, or maybe a green eye tool. But no, it doesn't work in those circumstances. I think there's something there for the next version, a little tick box that says pet mode. I think that would be brilliant because if you're going to put a tool in like red eye removal, then, you know, people do post lots of pictures of their pets these days and, they, you know, the pets can look quite demonised. <laughs> I remember having Mayor in the garden once, you know, and um, somebody walked past and they annoyed him. This was like midnight and he jumped up and the streetlight was nearby and he, <laughs> he let out one unholy growl and this person turned around and there was his eyes as I looked at his eyes. They were bright green. This person nearly and um, ran off very quickly. <laughs> so, yeah, that that is a problem with pets. I'd like to see something for that. Um, I think it would have made the tool a little bit more useful. Um, but it's a case of, sort of knowing, knowing the tools that are there and what's going to help you. But the clone stamp tool is fixed. Oh, cheering, cheering. But now they've fixed it, it's probably mm, completely surpassed with the healing tool and the content aware fill nicked from photoshop now you'll remember content aware phil won't yeah, you yeah i've i was gonna say I've, I've heard of that term and i know that's come from photoshop uh content aware phil was um the whizbang new feature in cs5 which was released 18 months ago now surely they can't call it content aware phil though can i they? thought that i thought adobe would have trademarked that seven ways from sunday yeah apparently not it's called content aware phil oh right hmm uh what they do, um, let's start with the healing tool. The healing tool is sort of uh, the clone stamp tool on steroids. And what it does is you just select the healing tool. You go over to your image. And if there's part of it that you don't want there, so it's really something you want to remove, um, you literally just click. Now, if you know what the clone stamp tool does, that sounds very similar. The difference between the two is that the clone stamp tool, you choose where in the image the pixels that you want to paste onto the area that you're going to clone over come from. So you make the choice. With the healing tool, it makes the choice. Now, you'd imagine, oh, in that case, the healing tool sounds automatic and it sounds like something that a professional would want control over. But to be honest, whether you would or not depends on how good the tool is. And I tried the healing tool. It was the first thing I wanted to try. It is stunning. I would go so far as to say it's possibly better than the one in Photoshop at the moment. That is high praise. You'll remember um, when CS5 came out, uh, I was on the beta program and once it had been announced we were allowed to use the beta to do some demos so I was um, doing some demos before it was actually released and people who had not seen been on the beta program and not seen content aware Phil um, came along they, they witnessed what it could do and it was like that's magic it's just completely magic um, there was one image where uh, do you remember it it had um, it was like a square in Brussels or somewhere and it had lots of lampposts. I remember that one. And yeah. you could just paint the lampposts yeah. out. It, it was just amazing. 
um, you can really, really tidy up an image with that. Another one was an image of somebody on a bike and it was as if you'd taken a landscape photo. Um, it was in the city. Again, that, that looked a bit like Amsterdam or somewhere like that. Um, and there was like a bandstand in the, in the distance with a fence. And it was as if you just as you pressed the shutter, somebody on a bike had gone past and you got this person on the bike in the way. And you looked at it and if you were trying to fix that manually, it would have taken you a couple of hours. Could, could be done, but you'd need expertise and patience. Um, with the healing tool, it literally was a case when the well, content aware fill healing tool, same techniques. You literally just pasted over this thing and it disappeared. That The guy on the bike disappeared. There was another one that was black and white and it was a building that had lots of cables strewn up along the side of it and there was a lamp on the side of the building. And you could literally just, it looked just like you painted over it and it vanished. Now sometimes it worked better than others because it's an algorithm and it was randomising it. So if you do it and it didn't look good, you undid it and you did it again. And the second time it may be better, it may be worse. So it did work very, very well, depending on the image. And the more you practised with it, the better you got with it. And it wasn't practice. I mean, I've just said it's random. So you think, well, what's practice has got to do with it? Practice in terms of how much of the image you select. How, how many pixels outside the area that you want removed do you select? Um, if you make the selection too tight, then it doesn't work as well. But if, if you make the selection too big, that doesn't work very well either. So it's a matter of learning how much of the image you need to select to get the best out of these tools. But pretty much that was the killer feature. It was absolutely amazing. It didn't work on all images, but in the right hands, it could probably work on the majority of images. So to see that was coming to Pixelmator. That was one of the things that I would say um, up to this version of Pixelmator. Well, Photoshop's got that and that's worth the extra. So to see that there was amazing. I did try it straight away and it was great. Very, very, very impressive. So um, the healing tool and content aware fill were working very, very well. There's now dedicated dodging and burning tools, which um, give... Now the problem with the dodging and burning is... Um, that it's destructive editing as opposed to non-destructive editing. Now, when I say destructive editing, anything that actually changes the pixels in an image is destructive editing. So the longer you can make changes and not change any of the pixels, the better. And unfortunately, the dodging and burning is destructive, which puts me off using it. There is a workaround, but not many people know the workaround. So mm, nice that they're there, but possibly dangerous. I've heard of that term dodge and burn, but I've actually no idea what it is. It's a term that comes from um, dark rooms where right. you would, um, if you want some an area lighter, you would cover it up during the processing. And if you want an area darker, you would expose it for longer. So hence dodge and burn, uh, ah. cover it up or leave it open for longer. It makes, uh, say you've got an image and there's, um, I actually did this on a live image. I had, I was shooting the French beach soccer team. <laughs> yeah, to say I was nervous was an understatement. Eric, Eric Cantona was the captain. Uh, slightly nervous. And they were lined up where they were lined up. There was no way I could shift them. Um, and I was shooting into the sun. So I had to expose it for the faces which meant it was 
slightly light in the background, but even then the faces were slightly dark. So what I needed to do when, when I got my image on my computer and I'm looking at it is lighten up the faces and darken the background without it looking that I'd made any changes at all. So I'd be looking to dodge the faces and burn the background in more. So you could burn something, for instance, if you've got a sky and when you took it, there was a great cloud formation. And when you look at it, you've got brilliant foreground, but the clouds look very, very pasty. You can barely see the nice patterns. So what you would want to do is burn that in to get more detail out of it. So that's what that means. Um, I'd learn the non-destructive way of doing that if you're going to think about using it, because once you've changed the pixels, you've changed the pixels. It's as simple as that. Um, there's a smudge tool which gives you a painterly effect. Can't say I, I ever use the smudge tool. Maybe I'm just not into that kind of um, editing, but it makes it sort of painterly. Now, what Photoshop did uh, in CS5 was they put in some brilliant uh, brushwork features which worked with uh, Wacom gra graphics tablet. Um, I wouldn't say this was at that level, but, you know, it's it's nice that it's there if you want to use that. But I think if you're serious about painterly effects, you'll probably use Corel Painter. So that's the kind of look that they're going for with that particular tool. But it, all tools are welcome because you never know when you might need them. Um, there's a sponge and paint bucket. So sponge is used when you want to saturate an image with colour in a particular area or desaturate it. So... Um, Maybe you've got um, something like, you've probably seen these images where, where it's like um, a bridal bouquet and the image is black and white, but in the bouquet, the there's a rose and it's red. And you want to make that look even redder, then you would use the sponge to saturate the colour in it to it. So that's what that's for. Can I just say, I've just read that in the recording notes and I've read it as bucket and sponge. <laughs> no, it's not a bucket and sponge, man. Oh, you've got football on the brain. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, gradient tool still there. Gradient tool was great in Pixelmator 1 um, and is still there and is still very, very good. Um, they make it nice and easy to edit a gradient. So if I'm working with gradients, I actually do prefer Pixelmator to Photoshop. They have revamped the brush tool. Uh, the brush tool being the tool that you, you use most of the time to make changes. One of the things that would make that incredibly useful is if it could use Photoshop brushes. Now, the Photoshop brush format is um, ABS and the Pixelmator format is PBS. But yes, it will read um, Photoshop brushes. So if you do have brushes from Photoshop, you would be able to use those. Now, that means that if um, you're working in an environment where somebody's using Photoshop and they've, they've got a set of brushes, you can take them and you can carry on working with them in Pixelmator. But you could also get brushes from the internet. There are millions of sites that offer free brushes of all descriptions. So I thought, first thing I thought was, right, will these work in here? And they do. The only issue that I had with it was the way Photoshop works with brushes, you can pretty much interchange them. You can load them in, you can merge sets of brushes, you can delete brushes, you can take a set out if you don't want them anymore. And um, I found there was, to say the management was poor was an understatement. There was none. So what I'd done was I'd said load in these brushes and I'd, I'd you know put some brushes in and it's something like say you're working on, on a Halloween piece and you've got some blood drops and um, spooky bats 
you know, I don't want those available for the rest of the year, thank you. Just this week will do, and then I don't want to see them again. I couldn't find a way from the interface to say, right, that's it, I've used those, delete, uninstall, remove. Um, you can do it, but you've got to go delving down into the library folder. And bearing in mind Apple's opinion on that, that they've actually hidden it in Lion. I thought that was very, very poor management of, of the brushes, which I thought was a shame. Um, I prefer to manage brushes where I can actually see them, and that was a bit limited, I thought. But you can use them, so that, that was a good feature. Um, now, the tool panel itself has changed quite a bit, and there are lots and lots of customization options now. But I must admit, I thought not enough, which is strange because I don't think I've ever changed anything in Photoshop. So to, to see that you can make changes with this one and then decide it's not enough seems strange, but I'll explain more about that when, when we come on to the ugly. Um, so that was the tools. One of the new menus is a share menu, which, to be honest, redefined gimmicky. Um, not keen on share menus. No, I don't think I've ever used it in anything. I know a lot of the Apple apps have got them, but with Pixelmator, uh, whenever I've used it, which isn't a great deal, uh, I've always done an export to a JPEG. Yeah, if I'm exporting to a file format, so a JPEG or a PNG or something that I want to put on a website, to be honest, you cannot beat Fireworks. Uh, the reason that Fireworks is better than anything else at all is that it is optimised for web graphics. So I may have um, a file that I want to put on the header of a website. And obviously it's really important with website design that the page loads quickly. So if I export it from Photoshop, I could get maybe a 100k file. But if I export it from Fireworks, I can get a better quality file for maybe 40k. So even if I was working in Pixelmator, I'd export it as a TIFF, which is um, readable by anything, and full quality. And I'd open it up in Fireworks and I'd export it from there. Now I know I'm probably odd in that regard. Don't agree too quickly, thank you. And the thing with this share menu is as well, it's not just for exporting. It's got things like send it to Facebook. Facebook's ubiquitous, isn't it? It is. Everything's linked to it these days. <laughs> I don't think we've got a, you know, tweet this image option yet, but I don't think we're far it from it. Come. It will. And I, I just know I'd like to know, you know, what size that's going to be in pixels and what what size is it in terms of how how many k is it when i upload it i'd like to know that before i come to upload it but i'm i'm probably more demanding than most users in that regard so may, maybe that's why but i don't tend to use it there's only one application i have ever gone to, to a menu and said yes just send it to wherever and it was in um screenflow and it was send it to youtube and it was literally a case of, I wonder if this will work. I'll have I'll have a play with it. And it did, and it was brilliant. And I didn't have to think, what am I going to have to export this as in terms of codec to then try and upload to YouTube? Because when I did that, I exported it in a brilliant codec and the quality was fabulous. And YouTube didn't want to know. It was that X264 that we've talked about. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Well, it makes brilliant files um, with the right settings, but YouTube can't read them doesn't want to know it, it just says processing 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 and there it sits for d days on end so 
for that one, I have done that upload, but that's the only one. I've never, ever, ever done it with anything else, and I, I don't see me starting to use it anytime soon. So that was what the, was good. Um, the bad is pretty much what's missing. Uh, there are no adjustment layers that I can find. I haven't found them yet. And um, that's all to do with whether you change the actual pixel. So if I'm going to change the, the brightness of an image, um, if I do it with an adjustment layer, I can turn it on and off. If I change the pixels, I've changed the pixels and I can't change them back. You know, yes, I could reverse the process, but you're losing quality all the time. So it's actually quite difficult to keep things editable. You'd have to know a lot of tricks to be able to uh, work at the speed you could probably work in Photoshop. Whether people, average users, would find that really important, probably not. But then you know what users are like for making changes and not keeping the original. And there's also something about that with interface options. So yes, you'd need to think about that. Because you know on Lion, you open it, you make a few changes, you do not save it. It's all right, Lion does it for you. Yes, we've been down that road, yes. haven't we? Well, that, you would have that problem again, wouldn't you? Mm. If, if, if inherently your Pixelmator file is not non-destructive, then anything you do, whether you save it or not is going to be saved. So I thought that was a bit of an issue. Um, there is no CMYK support, which you talked about a while ago when we, we said it was coming. Not not CMYK support was coming. We said Pixelmator was coming. Yeah. And you said that's one of the features it's not got. And no, it hasn't got it. Um, only really important in, in print stuff. So I don't think they're going to add that. Those were probably what was the most important things that were the bad. But the, the ugly has got to be, there's some odd interface choices there. There really is. Um, there used to be a swatches palette. Now, a swatches palette is just little squares of colour that you can pick and use. So it really, it's like having a colour car park. Let's go back to those colour pickers. <laughs> they're, they're going to have their second coming, the colour pickers, because this swatches palette that there used to be there, I find a swatches palette really important. Um, I may get from another designer... These are the colours that, that this client's using. And I get a swatch a swatch file and I open it up and they're the colours I'm using. So a swatches palette is pretty much standard in every graphics application I have ever seen. And Pixelmator 1 has got a swatches palette and there they are. You know, they're there when you open it up. You can save them out, you can make changes, you can add your extra ones. It's a colour car park. Think of it in those terms. Well, apparently it broke at some point. <laughs> There's a surprise. So did the clone stamp tool. Um, so what they did was take it out. It's gone. It's history. And I found that ludicrous. Completely ludicrous. Now, the alternative is that it does use the standard OS X colour palette, the colour picker. So you do have that colour car park at the bottom. But to be honest, it's not... It's not the same. You can't load colours into it. You can't save colours out of it. You can't group colours. There's so much that you can't do with that colour palette that by taking away the swatches palette, you've really crippled that. There are ways around it yet again, but you'd have to have another image open and you'd have to have some way, instead of getting a swatches file from your designer, you would have to say, well, thanks for the swatches file. Uh, can you give me an image with squares of the colours in? And they probably look at you as though you were insane. Um, yes, it can be done, but that's not the point. 
that's not the way that it's done so you'd have to work around that and um same with customizing the swatches just just not doable um you used to be able to save selections as well which i must admit is something i find incredibly useful uh, you save a selection if anybody has tried making selections in applications then you'll know that you can be quite a while making a perfect selection and when you've made that selection you don't want to have to select it twice so you save the selection and one thing that I always um, tell people is if you get a file from somebody and, and it's like oh can you change the color of that horse have a look to see if somebody has selected the horse first and save yourself two hours work and how it does that is putting it in channels and there was um, a save there was a, a mask palette where you could save selections and that's disappeared as well so again rather strange quite and a few things gone isn't there the worst thing the thing that struck me straight away and i actually sat and thought about it and thought is this a big deal or not but there's there's two modes that you can edit in there's quick mask mode and normal mode and quick mask mode um, is very good for seeing precisely what's selected. It puts a red sort of tra semi-transparent layer over your image and you can see what's selected. You don't use it that often but if you're working with selections and you need to be really precise it's quite handy. It's still there but they've taken it away from the tool palette which I think is a very strange move. Um, coupled with the fact of what else they've taken away from that tool palette, which is the foreground and background colour um, color car parks. There used to be two squares. One was the foreground colour, one was the background. And it's just not there. And it was the first thing I noticed. I use that to have sort of, well, a primary colour and a secondary colour, not necessarily a background colour in my mind, just two colours. And I can quickly switch between them. And it had gone. And I thought, hmm, you must be able to put that back. And I said in the good section, you can edit the tool palette. So I thought, well, obviously you can change this and you can put it back. So I went and had a look. And no, you can't. You can't add the quick mask and normal mode back, nor can you add back the foreground background colour. And I thought, that that's ridiculous. Why on earth would you take it away? Now, there's probably two views on this. They have those two changes have radically changed how you interact with the program, especially if you're a Photoshop user and you're coming from Photoshop. And there's two views. There's the Apple view, throw it out and reinvent it, which is exactly what they did with Final Cut Pro 10 and iMovie before that. You know, we were all clinging on desperately to the old way of working until they prized us away from it. But there is that feeling when you change something completely radically that you don't want to go with it. If it turns out to be an improvement in the end, then fine. But you've got to relearn it. And people like their comfort zone. That's that's one view. You know, if they feel that they're going that way for a reason, then just make the change. But there is the other view of, you know, if you're trying to tempt Photoshop users, make it familiar. Make the interface as familiar as possible. They've already taken things like content aware fill. So why not make the interface incredibly comfortable as well? Because when you're using Pixelmator, most of the, sh the shortcut keys are identical. If you can use Photoshop, you can use Pixelmator. 
There are a few notable exceptions. In Photoshop, you would use the T key to make a transformation, and in Pixelmator, you've got to use the F key. So instead of it being T for transform, it's like the F from the middle in Pixelmator. But you kind of know, you know, there's only one or two changes. But it seemed a very, very, very odd decision to me. I'd rather it were there. Why they can't take that third option, which is you make the interface look like you want it to look and then give me the option to make it look how I want it to look and then we're all happy. But no, there is no option to put those back. One of the things that used to be there in Pixelmator 1, there was um, a tools option palette that used to float around the screen and they've now got that at the top of the window. It's not the top of the window in terms of at the menu bar. That would depend if you had it full screen. It's actually at the top of the window of the image you're working with. But the thing is, I always remember when I was on um, a Windows PC that Photoshop had a grey background. You opened an app in Windows and it had a background and everything opened within that um, environment, including all the images. And when I saw it running on a Mac, it just looked odd. There were palettes floating all over the place and you could see the desktop in the background. And Pixelmator was like that. You open it and it's got all these palettes floating all over the place and you can see the background. So working full screen, which is obviously the way they're going with Lion, is handy. When it works full screen, this palette is then at the top where your menu would be. Uh, your menu flies down as you move your mouse up and it hovers and then it, you know, it comes down. Whether that's better or not, I think it's better to have the tools nearer the image. So if I've got a smallish image, even if I'm zoomed into it, I'd like to have the tools as near to the pixels I'm editing as possible. And if I go full screen, then they're not. Whereas the old way, which was this palette, you could move that palette to float wherever you wanted it to be. And they've taken that away. I would say the interface is nowhere near as configurable as Photoshop, but then there's not as much to it. So mm, I would like them to make the interface at least editable. Just make it easy for me to use both Photoshop and Pixelmator and I'll do it. So would you recommend buying it? Oh, it's got to be worth the £20.99 if you've got any image editing to do. Um, just for the healing tool and the content aware fill, it's worth it. I have used both of those features in Photoshop. I think this did a better job. I, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to take the same image and, and try it in both. Um, but I took an image just at random, literally just a random image. Um, if anybody's been to one of my webinars, it's the wedding one, the one I do over. <clears throat> and she's got this jumper on and it's got, it's like a knitted thing. Um, and there was something on this jumper that I thought, well, let's see if it can, if it can heal that. Um, and it did. And I was stunned. I didn't expect it to. I didn't expect it to work that well. So I'll try doing the same thing in Photoshop and um, report back. But I think for the price it is at the moment, it's got to be worth it. You're probably no longer going to get version one. You, you are just buying version two now. But the changes, apart from the changes I'm not keen on in terms of the interface, and I just think that's because they're, they're unusual changes to make. There's no need for it. It's not that they've run out of space or something. There's no need for those changes. So if they improve that a little bit, then uh, yes, it, I, I, I would use both. I said I'd, I'd use Pixelmator for the speed. So if I've got to crop an image, then I'll do it in Pixelmator because it's run while Photoshop's thinking about it. 
So yes, I'd say definitely it's got to be worth it. If you've got Pixelmator 1, it's going to be worth your while upgrading just for the Healing Tool and Content Aware fill. And you don't have to worry about that Clone Stamp tool anymore because they fixed it. I'm going to call it a Clone Stamp Party, <laughs> I think it's called for. Great. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for that comprehensive review. And we'll be returning to Pixelmator towards the end of the show, won't we? In a few moments. But for now, Mac Love Bites. Oh, you didn't say that quite right this week. Mac Love Bites. That's better. <laughs> and we've heard from Robert, Robert Walker, who writes to say he downloaded and installed Lion. I had no idea it would delete itself and wanted to make an installer for my other two Macs. I really wanted to do a clean install, but figured I'd just have to download again and install the official Apple way over Snow Leopard. I listened to show 57 and couldn't believe my luck when you mentioned Line Disk Maker. So I downloaded Line again and this time stopped the install, followed your instructions to make a bootable pen drive. I nervously wiped the hard drive and used the pen drive and I'm happy to report that it worked perfectly. So thanks so much. Keep up the great work with the show. I love it. Oh, it's brilliant to hear. I found it was odd that it deleted itself especially without telling you but i must admit when i downloaded lion um i immediately stopped the install and, and backed it up first on the basis it probably would do something that it would regret or i would regret so um, i luckily had the original of course what's happening now is every time they release a point release even though you can get the combo update i'm downloading the full thing again and remaking the pen drive <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're making my isp happy not <laughs> Because I do download it and make it. I've now got three pen drives. I've got a 10.7.0, and 0.2 now. I don't know why I'm keeping the old ones. Uh, a girl can't have too many pen drives, though, I find. And um, yes, on to feedback and comments. Uh, we heard from Derek, who said, another brilliant show. Thanks. So you're welcome. We're glad that you enjoyed it. We also heard from uh, James Fisher on Twitter. He really, really made me laugh with this. He said, I'm enjoying the regular podcast. It's become one of my favourites. The Victorian aunt and her little nephew. Where's my tea? <laughs> it reminded me of um, a programme that I never watched. So I have no idea how I know this. But do you remember um, Ronnie Corbett in Sorry? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and, and, and his mother would say, Timothy! I never watched the programme. I have no idea how I know that. But I do know that. Yes, so you, you made it out. I sounded like that. Yes, which I probably do. Ah, oh, never mind. And um, yes, we've heard from Minster, who's been a bit of a minx this week. First, we had a cheeky image. Yes, you're laughing, aren't you? Yes. Uh, it could only be described. I'll put a link in the show notes. It was um, a Santa with his clothes somewhat in disarray. Um, and on his... Um, well, never mind. You'll see it in the image. Uh, promising episode 70 next week. Mm. So that's 11 episodes that Minster expected us to create over the weekend. And as if that wasn't enough, he then followed this up with a video of a dancing robot declaring that episode 60 would be out on Monday. He got the text taking over. It's a good video, though. It was an excellent video of a dancing robot. Yeah, I mean, a video of a dancing robot's got to be good at any time. But uh, yes, it was very, very good. So uh, thank you for that. But onward to events and back to Pixelmator. Yes, um, a first look at the new version of Pixelmator. I have a free webinar. It is on Thursday night at eight o'clock UK time. So that's Thursday, the 3rd of November. Uh, we're now on GMT. 
So we're out of kilter with the US for a week. So if it was seven hours, it's now... No, if it was eight hours, it's now seven hours. But anyway, it's fine because we have a link on the page in question for the time zone perplexed out there. Whatever, so, it, whatever it is, it's do not copy and paste week. It's also do not copy and paste week. Yeah, You know, I said last week that I, I'd put um, an appointment on my calendar to yeah. remind me not to copy and paste. You copied and pasted it. No, 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 I didn't copy and paste. No, I didn't. No, everything was fine luckily i was working at quarter to midnight you know as i do because um all my eye devices started vibrating and tweeting and generally going on with themselves i'd forgotten to take the reminder off do not copy and paste week <laughs> so if i hadn't have been working i'd have been woken up with a, a quite a cacophony it's not good uh no no so there is a link on the page so i'll put a link in um, in fact if you go to macbytes.co.uk it's at the top of the page you can't miss it just click on there and on from that page there is a link to all the time zones all over the place now jane's ahead of you and she tells me that she's already got this event in her calendar for 4 a.m perth time yeah, well, I hope she's not relying on BusyCal or iCal, because otherwise she'll never turn up. No, no, no. What she's done is she's put it in for Friday and then moved it back I have every confidence she is not as iCal or BusyCal challenged as you this week. And what better incentive for the MacBiters than to join her for her shower on Friday morning? Because it's Oz, in Oz it's Friday morning at that point. So, um... Showering with Jane on Friday, people. I shall expect you to be there. And with that, it's the end of the episode. <laughs> you can't get over showering with Jane on Friday, can you? No, I can't. I can't. Uh, well, yeah, seriously, guys, folks, that's it for this episode of Matt Bites. Um, as always, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your questions, comments, queries, uh, pictures of the shower. Uh, <laughs> Now, don't don't scare Jane mentioning pictures of said shower. I didn't say in the shower. No, no. Uh, God, we'll get lots of pictures of from bathroom catalogues. Uh, by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or send us an audio file. How about leaving us a comment on the show notes at macbytes.co.uk? And don't forget to keep sending your Matt Love Bites in. And if you're feeling generous, how about showing us some love on iTunes with a review? Yeah. And can I just say a massive thanks to those who've taken the time. It is really appreciated. Um, it's actually ridiculous. We get no notification from iTunes at all. And the reviews are actually added to each individual store. So they're all separated as well. Um, and to add to, to our general joy, they go into suspension for a couple of days while they're manually checked. So trying to keep up with them, I just wish they'd, they'd email us and let us know. So whatever store you've put it in, um, let us know that you've put it in there or take a screenshot and let us know. Otherwise, I, I shall be in iTunes for the foreseeable. So um, do let us know. If you haven't signed up to the newsletter, you can do so on the MacBytes website, macbytes.co.uk. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. You can follow me at twitter.com slash thomasmike. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. Should we mention and Google Plus? I was just going to say that, yes. Yeah, I'm Google Plus challenged at the moment, but hey. You can follow me at gplus.to slash thomasmike, he says, having scrolled up the recording notes to find the link. You mean you haven't had that tattooed somewhere important? <laughs> Not yet, no. <clears throat> no, and I'm there at um, gplus.to slash Elaine Giles. Yeah, very similar to me, but with Elaine Giles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should hope so. <laughs> 
<laughs> so until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you Mac Bites. Goodbye. Goodbye. See you next time. Siri, make me some tea. Yes, mistress. Your wish is my command. Now that's more like it. <laughs> <laughs>